This morning, we are continuing the series we've been in for the last three weeks called Beyond Ordinary. And uh, we've taken an opportunity to look at people's lives in Scripture, ordinary people, and see how God used them to accomplish extraordinary results. There wasn't anything uniquely special about any of these individuals, but God used them and their uh, simple acts of obedience and faith to do great things in His kingdom. And we said that this series is rooted in the vision that we have here at Faith Community, which is to help each and every person move from where they are to where God wants them to be. Regardless of how you came through the door, regardless of how or when or why anything happened in your life, God has a plan for you, and God has uniquely gifted you and resourced you to fill that purpose. We don't believe here that we're just mere products of biology or that any person on the face of the earth is an accident. Regardless of the circumstances surrounding how you came to this planet, you are on purpose and God has a plan for you. We want to help you discover that and just take one step closer each week to moving from where you're at today to where God wants you to be. Throughout this series, we've been encouraging you, just take a step. Each week as we look at a person, just take one step, one step closer to what God has you to do. Not asking you to do all of it. Not asking you to charge hell with a water pistol, okay? But just take one step. And we've taken a look at three people so far. The first one was Abraham. Saw how God revealed himself to Abraham and asked Abraham to move himself and his family. And Abraham did that. But God didn't tell him where he was going. And Abraham followed God. And God not only delivered him to a destination, but changed him and his family and affected an entire race of people. And today, Abraham is considered the forefather of the modern-day Jewish people. Week two, we looked at Nehemiah and saw that Nehemiah, he was a refugee under Persian captivity. He was the cupbearer to the Persian king, meaning that he tasted his wine and his food before the king drank it to see if he would die or not. And then Nehemiah hears about his city, Jerusalem, that he's probably never been to. The city's lying in ruins, and the walls specifically have been destroyed. And Nehemiah makes a decision to go back and try to rebuild the city walls and leaves everything that he has. And God not only helps him rebuild those walls, but uses Nehemiah to contribute to preserving an entire race of people, which are the Jewish people today. And last week, we looked at Peter. Saw that Peter was a fisherman from Galilee, but Jesus called him to be a disciple, and he was the leader of the disciples, but he was impulsive, right? And he was passionate, and he often did before he thought. He spoke before he thought. We saw that in a unique situation, Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water, and he's got simple faith, and God uses this impulsive, rough, oftentimes salty language guy to not only be the leader of the disciples, but to be one of the leaders of the church. And through Peter's contribution, you and I sit here today as the church, as the global church. So God takes ordinary people, asks them to make some maybe tough decisions. But when we do that, simple acts of obedience, simple acts of kindness, simple acts of trust, God can do extraordinary things through us. We just have to embrace the ordinariness of life. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about Ruth. I wanted to spend the first part of this series talking about some guys, but then thought, you know, it would be great to bring in some ladies into this story, right? Because ladies are often left out in church. Talk a lot about the guy. Yeah, you can say bigger amen. I know how you feel. The Bible's full of, of amazing stories of women, and women are so integral to the message of the gospel. And God, you can see throughout Scripture, some people want to say that God does not value women, but God values women highly. I want to talk about Ruth. She's one of my favorite uh, Bible characters. Uh, her story in the Old Testament, it's, it's a small story. It's only about four chapters. But it's, it's such a beautiful 
picture of relationship and God's love for his people and his desire to be in relationship and restore and redeem. And the book of Ruth is a beautiful, just literary masterpiece because it's a story of romance and love, but courage and loss and redemption and provision. And really the book of Ruth is just a story about Jesus. It really is. It's a story of God speaking of redemption, not just of his people, but of all mankind. And the amazing thing about Ruth is this. It's only one of two books in the Bible named after a woman. The other is the book of Esther. But Ruth is not Jewish. Ruth is not from Israel. Ruth is not a Hebrew. Ruth is from Moab, which is a political and religious enemy of Israel. Israel. They've been at war with each other. Ruth is, is, did not grow up understanding who God was, had no idea of what a Judeo or Christian worldview would be. She grew up in a polytheistic environment. What's that mean? She worshiped many gods. One of the main gods of Moab was this god, Kamash, and they made human sacrifices to him. They were a rough people. And God, if you go back and further into the Old Testament, you'll see during the time of Moses that God actually forbid Moabites. And he said, to the 10th generation, they'll never enter the house of the Lord. Meaning Moabites were not allowed to come into the temple. Why? Because their way of life was so diametrically different than Israel that it would corrupt the people. They were, like I said, they worshiped many gods. They made human sacrifices. They really had no moral fiber. God also forbade that uh, Moabites and Israelites would intermarry. He did not want there to be intermarrying between the cultures. This is the, the country, this is the place that Ruth comes out of. And, her, and the book is named after her, which is amazing. She should have never, based on culture and all that, never had the book named after her. In fact, the book probably would have, should have been named Boaz, right? Boaz is one of the main characters of the story, but no, it's, it's, it's named after Ruth. We don't really know who the author of the book of Ruth is. Some people have said throughout history in the Jewish tradition that it's the prophet Samuel, but we don't really know. It could even, some people even think it was a woman who wrote it. Whoever wrote it was a great storyteller. I'd encourage you, we, we don't have time. I, I thought about just reading all four chapters and then dismissing us because it's such a, an amazing story. But this story, it, they, they, it's a movie. I mean, it is chock full and it's just very well written and you see and feel and the pain and the loss and the and then you rejoice with Ruth when God does amazing things in her life but today what I want to focus on is just an aspect of the story we don't have time to go through it all and as we talk about it today the aspect is this the aspect is relationship and the importance and value of relationship right now I want you to think about just close your eyes for me don't fall asleep, but just close your eyes. And I want you to think about a person in your life, a relationship that you've had that has meant more to you than almost anything else. Could be your husband, could be your wife, could be a friend, but somebody that just loved you and spoke life into you that you would, you would do anything for if they called you on the phone, come hell or high water, you're going to be there for them. Who's that person? Whoever that person is, you can open your eyes. Whoever that person is, the influence they have in your life, the place that they hold in your life, the meaning that they have in your life is due to the relationship. The words that they spoke to you, the things that they did for you have value and meaning and stick with you to this day because of the relationship and the connection and the bond that they formed with you. 
For me, that person is a man named Lynn Stroop, who pastors a church down in St. Clair. He's probably 25, 30 years older than me. I worked with him at Joyce Meyer Ministries on the road, and he just took me under his wing, and we, we were in airports together. We were in venues together, we restaurants, hotels. He just, he just let me be a young, impulsive, opinionated young man and just share how I thought the world should be, but he would just bring correction, and he did it through relationship, and he loved me, and he challenged me, and he spoke words of encouragement to me. I had lunch with him two weeks ago, and I shared something with him. I said, you know, Lynn, when we were on the road, there was a, we were at a specific venue, and you said some words to me that have stuck with me, and as the pastor of this church today, I still go back to that moment, and I think about the words that you spoke to me, and the words aren't amazing, and the words aren't a, a beautiful speech. He simply just told me this. We were standing in a venue. He said, Josh, the reason why I brought you on the road and put you in this position is because you're cool under pressure. I don't have to worry about you. When things get intense, when things get heated, you calm down, you focus, and you make good decisions. See, it's not anything amazing. But I told him, I said, now that I'm the pastor of this church, when things get tough, when things get intense, I go right back to that moment in that venue, and I think about the words that you spoke to me. Had Lindstrup just been some man that came up to me and said, hey, by the way, I think you're cool under pressure, I'd be like, you don't even know me. And it wouldn't have meant anything but his investment, his relationship, this bond, this connection that we held proved to be and still is today brought me closer to God, instilled confidence in me and helps me make decisions and do things that I never thought I would be able to do. When I talk about relationship in this, in this story, in, this, in the book of Ruth, I'm talking about the, a deep need that each and every one of us have for relationship. Not just, I need a boyfriend, I need a girlfriend, I need that. No, no, no. Relationship, connection, going deeper, and that it is woven into the fabric of who we are. The need to connect, the need to be in relationships, the need for physical touch, not talking sexually, but just the need to connect with one another and other human beings. It is woven into our DNA. We cannot escape it. You know, the idea of a lone ranger in our culture has a certain mystique to it, doesn't it? The idea of just going out alone and exploring and being an adventurer has a certain level of, you know, kind of uh, romantic idea about it. But we were never created to be alone. We were never created to do life alone and be just uh, some stranger out there wandering We long for connection. In fact, in Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, relationships is in that hierarchy. We need it to survive. Why? It's part of our DNA. It's who we are. Anybody ever watch uh, the History Channel? Have you seen that show alone? Like when they drop these people off that have amazing survival skills, and they're going to win $500,000 if they can survive, but they drop them off alone? You know what one of the things every person says that is the most difficult part about the survival It's being alone. Some people drop out because they can't handle being alone. Half a million dollars isn't enough for them to be alone. These people could survive anything, but the one thing that some of them can't survive is being alone. I don't think any one of us could ever truly survive being alone. We need relationships. We need each other. And you know what's interesting? And I promise I'm going to get to the story. You know what's interesting about our culture today? You know we're the most connected culture in, 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 in throughout history? We are, we are more connected than any other time in the world. 
We are connected. What are we connected with? Technology, right? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, and whatever else is out there. We're connected. Some of us be like, I got a thousand friends. You know, I got, I got 500 followers on Twitter. I had 35 likes on my Instagram picture the other day. We're connected, right? With the stroke of a button, I can friend somebody. And with that same stroke, I can unfriend them. Or I just kind of unfollow them because then I don't have to deal with the emotion of unfriending them and then knowing that I unfriended them, right? Because that's rough. That's tough. I literally have conversations. Hey, how do I like not see their post but not unfriend them because I don't want them to be mad at them? I'm like, they don't even know you, right? You've never met them. You just met them on Facebook. We're so connected. I can, with the stroke of some buttons, I can, I can tell you how much I like you or how much I hate you. And I've never met you and I don't have to deal with the fallout. I can do it from my car, from the bathroom, from my room, from anywhere. I can, I can have these pseudo relationships. What's interesting is as connected as we are, we are reporting the highest levels of loneliness and depression ever. We're popping pills to deal with this stuff. Why? Because we've lost connection. Because when I pick up my phone and I go on Facebook and I do way too much, I am getting something that is in the moment gratifying. Bam, bam, bam. But long term, sustainably, it doesn't work. I can't connect via a screen. Is social media bad? No, I think it's awesome. I think it has its place. I think it's a great tool. But it can't replace relationship. We need it. I am a believer that it's because of relationships that most of you are sitting in this church today. I get this view every week, and I can pretty much tell you where you sit every week. Most of you sit in the same spot by the same people. That's cool. I don't have a problem with it. Every once in a while, maybe you should switch. But other than that, I don't have a problem with it. Why do you do that? Because it's comfortable, because you know people, and you have relationship. I would venture to say that most of you are not here uh, and stayed here because of the preaching or the music or the programs. Most of you probably came because someone invited you or because they're friends with somebody or you heard it through the grapevine from somebody else. And although maybe, hopefully, you like the preaching uh, and the music and the stuff, it's not enough to keep you here. You're here because of some level of connection. I think most of you are here today not to hear what I have to say, not to hear what we sing about, but if you're honest, and this is okay, and I don't want you to feel good, you're here to connect with people and talk with them. Why do you think that lobby's so full after service? No, it's just, well... Some people don't like the coffee, even though it's free. <laughs> Maybe coffee, but you're connecting. There's chatter. You're talking. You're stopping. You're, 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 hey, how's it going? You know what I mean? All this good stuff. And that's beautiful. That's part of why, you know, we exist. We, we long to connect. Because we need it. And we value it. And it's relationships. I believe it's in the context of relationships that God is revealed. And that God reveals himself. God reveals himself through our relationships. Why? Because he's relational. And I want to just look at an aspect of Ruth's story today, and we'll come back to that. This story here with Ruth, the first service I read the whole chapter, and people's eyes were glazing over, so I'm not going to do that, okay? I'm just going to read a part of it. 
But in this story, we have Ruth and Naomi, who are the main characters of this of this beautiful story. First chapter really just describes their plight of how they got into this situation. What happened, just briefly, here's what's happened to, to Ruth and Naomi. Naomi was living in a time when uh, judges ruled Israel. What that means is this, is they didn't have yet have kings, but they had these judges, leaders who were appointed, who were responsible for the operation of government and justice. There was a famine in Bethlehem where Naomi and her husband Elimelech lived. They made a decision to go to Moab because they needed fruitful, they needed farmland. They needed to, to survive. They needed to eat. And I understand their decision, but they left to go to Moab, the same Moab where God forbade them to intermarry, where God forbade them to go into the temple. That's where they went. In doing so, Naomi and her husband have called into question what they believe. It's a, it's a moral dilemma for them as much as it is a, a physical dilemma. Do we eat or do we not? Do we go to Moab? So they go to Moab. While they're in Moab with her two sons, her two sons marry Moabite daughters. Again, not allowed in their religion. God forbade it. They married Moabite daughters. Then what happens is this. Naomi's husband dies. We don't know how. Then what happens is her sons die. We don't know how. Naomi is left without a husband and without sons. Her daughters and daughter-in-laws are left without husbands, and they didn't have children either. So now we have three women who are in a desperate situation considering the the culture of the day to be a childless widow in this time in history is one of the most disadvantaged classes of people to be in they can't provide because women although they do a bunch of physical labor they don't have jobs where they're making an income it just doesn't happen at this point in history they are fully dependent upon the men in their lives to provide for them and they don't have that anymore they will be 100 percent dependent on the generosity and mercy of other people so they're desperate they're hopeless Naomi has lost everything by going to Moab. They went to Moab for food, and she lost her family in the process, and she just thinks it's the the judgment of God on her life, and she hears that in Israel there is now, uh, the famine has ended, and she decides to go back to Israel, and she begins this journey, and her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, are beginning to go with her. And at some point on this journey, Naomi realizes this. It's about a 30-mile journey back to Israel. She realizes this. I cannot ask my daughters-in-law to go with me to Israel. Number one, they are Moabite women. They will be outcasts at best, enemies at worst in Israel. Can't ask them to do that. Plus, their support system is all in Moab. Their family, their friends, their language, their customs, their religion, everything is Moab. I can't ask them to go with me. So she stops. She says, Ruth, Orpah, you, you, you can't go with me. You need to stay. They don't want to do that. They love Naomi. They have such a great relationship. The Bible says that they weep and they cry and they hold on to each other. We can't leave you, can't leave you. So they keep going. And then Naomi says, no, you have to go back to Moab. Go back to your family. Go back to your support system. Go back to your gods, she says at one point. Orpah reluctantly agrees to follow Naomi's advice and she goes back. Ruth, however, does not. Ruth After Orpah leaves, Naomi turns to Ruth and she says, Ruth, you need to stay here. I I, I can't provide for you. I don't have anything to give you. And I'm not going to get married, even if I could get married again and I could conceive. Are you going to wait 20 years so that, you know, my sons can grow up and you can marry again? No, you wouldn't do that. Ruth, go. And then Ruth gives what is, I think, one of the most beautiful and passionate speeches in the Bible. She turns to Naomi. That's what I want to read to you today. We see Ruth's decision here, and this is what she says to Naomi. She says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. 
Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Ruth just turns to Naomi. After Naomi is pushing her to to stay, Naomi, don't ask me again. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord, capital L, the God of Israel, may he punish me severely if I do anything to cause us to be separated. Man, that's a beautiful speech. That's an impassioned plea to Naomi. I am going with you, and nothing Nothing come hell or high water will stop me from being with you. The rest of the story of Ruth is amazing. They go, they go back to Israel. And, they, and Ruth decides that, you know what, we've got to eat somehow. So she starts gleaning in the field, meaning she's going into the fields behind the people who are harvesting and picking up the scraps just so they can eat. She meets this wonderful man named Boaz. Remember, she's a Moabite. This man, Boaz, he has favor, he he favors her and he helps her. And Ruth goes back to Naomi and she tells him what happened. And Naomi says, oh, oh, that's Boaz. Boaz is one of our family redeemers. You say, what's that? A family redeemer was that in that culture, if your husband died and you didn't have any kids, the next male in line in the family would take you as a wife, would provide for you, and would would continue on the family line. It was just their culture. This is who Boaz was. And so Naomi, she becomes the ultimate matchmaker and she works this thing out. And and Boaz ends up marrying Ruth, not because he has to, but because he wants to. And Ruth, here's what's amazing. Ruth and Boaz have a child. His name is Obed. And then Obed has a son whose name is Jesse. And then Jesse has a son whose name is David. And David is King David. David is the one who is the greatest king of all of Israel. And then you get to Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 1, most of us skip over it because it's just lineage, meaning like so-and-so came before so-and-so, and and it's just like, dear Lord, get me to the next chapter. (laughs) But what's beautiful in that is you see that Ruth, a Moabite foreign woman, not allowed in the temple, should have never been allowed to marry an Israelite, she is in the the family line of Jesus, one of four women who's in the family line of Jesus. Whoo, incredible. And that's a sermon in and of itself. But what I just want to talk about today is, 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 is not so much that, but how that happened. Because Ruth knew none of that when she made the decision to follow Naomi, right? She knew none of that. She had no idea there was going to be a guy named Boaz and that all this would work out and she would have a child. No, 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 no. None of that was in the cards. Remember, Ruth is a Moabite, childless widow, an enemy of Israel, completely dependent upon the, the generosity and mercy of other people. And she makes this decision to follow Naomi, to walk into a land where she's not welcome, to leave behind her friends, her family, her language, her custom, her religion, her identity, everything. She effectively decides to take on a new identity. An amazing decision that she would make. And, and the question that I had was just one of them was why? Why would she do that? Did she feel like she owed Naomi something? What was, what was inspiring her decision? And it's a little bit different than the weeks 
past, right? Because we could see in, in Abraham and Peter and, and Nehemiah that God was at work. These were Jewish men and God had, had been part of their history. But for Ruth, no, she was polytheistic. She only heard about God maybe through Naomi and she didn't have this background. And, and, and you don't really see God being at work in her life like you did in the other three. Although we know, obviously, that he is. But why? What, what, what prompted this decision? And I think it's this, and we've already talked about it, the majority of the message. I think it's simply because of the relationship she had with Naomi. I think it's because of that connection, and I think it's because of that bond that they shared. Naomi deeply loved her daughters-in-law. How many relationships, mother and daughter relation, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationships, do you know that are like super good? Most of the time, we, what we've done is we've formed a comedy around it to deal with it crack jokes about it but this was a an unusual relationship when they are trying to separate themselves these women are holding each other and they're weeping and they're crying because they love each other although Orpah makes the decision I understand it but Ruth no she sticks it out I think her and Naomi had this bond right that they shared a bond not of just being you know a a wife and, and things like that but this bond of what it was to lose somebody this bond of what it was to be broken, this bond of what it was to be desperate and hopeless. And it just, it, 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 God used that to knit them together. It was in the context of relationship that Ruth makes the decision to stick it out. But something even greater happens is that Ruth makes a statement, your God, capital G, will be my God, capital G. She, she becomes a Christ follower, as we would say it today. Chooses to follow God. She had no history of who God was. But due to this relationship, and Naomi, she wasn't doing everything right. There had been a lot of compromise in her life. But, but Ruth comes to know who God is. And then Ruth comes to experience the grace and mercy of a loving father and comes to know Boaz and then God gives her a child and now she's in the family line of Jesus. Just beautiful things. But I don't think any of that would have happened had Naomi and Ruth not had a relationship. Had Naomi and Ruth not been connected and not shared a bond. Some of you in here today, if I were to ask, how is it that you came to know Jesus? How is it that you came to know and give your life to God. And I would venture to say, you're probably not going to say, on December, 30, on December 30th, you know, 1972, so-and-so preached an amazing sermon. That might be there. But what's probably there is, yeah, my friend invited me to an event, or my friend did this, or a, a person did this. It's some connection. I, I really believe that God just longs to reveal himself through relationship, and he does that more often than he does through just sermons. Or just coming to church. I, I would venture to say that, that the relationships that you hold, that God is just longing to reveal himself through your relationships. Through you. Through how you treat somebody. Through how you, you talk with them. That's how God works in the world. Why? Because that's who God is. I said before, relationships, they're woven into who we are. They're, they're the fabric of, of what it means to be human. Why? Because we're creating the image of, a, of God who is relational at his core. That God has eternally existed in community. What do I mean? The Trinity, right? I'm going to try to be, not dig into this, but, but it's God himself, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus that are in community and have been eternally that way. And when God created you and God created me, he created us for relationship. He created us to share himself with us. Some people say, no, God created us to take dominion. Yeah, that's part of it. God created us to be fruitful. 
Yes. But God created us for relationship. We're created in his image. Before sin came in and, and disrupted that, the Bible says that God came down on a daily basis and walked and talked with Adam in the garden. Face to face. Relationship. When that relationship was severed due to sin, God automatically had a plan for Jesus to come to this earth. And God gave him of himself to restore relationship. And he says this, why that we might have eternal life. Eternal life with whom? Him. Relationship. We can't, we can't escape it. We can't separate from it. It's one of our biggest needs, but I think it's an area where we as a church, as our church, and as the church, we're the most deficient. One of the areas where we're the most deficient is relationship. Is reaching out across the aisle and meeting someone new and forming a relationship and having connection and knowing that someone's there going through the same situation dealing with the same issues that you're dealing with. Nobody else knew what it was like for Ruth, except for Naomi, and the same for her. That bond. And God did so much through that relationship. So the question is, is what what does all this mean for me today? What do I do with this? First, I just wanted us to understand and identify the need for relationship. We've all got it, right? Right? We all need it. We all recognize it. We all have it. So there we go. Why? Because we're created in the image of God, who is relational. Here's the second thing I wanted us to do, is I want us to prioritize relationships in our lives. Make it a priority. And not just a, yes, uh, I have made it a priority in my mind. I wrote it on paper. No, I want you to make it a priority. I want you to begin to take a look at your life and see, what am I putting in front of relationships? I want you to look and see this, because I'm struggling with this too. How much time am I spending on pseudo-relationships? How much time am I burying myself in the mindless posts of other people? Hey, Facebook and itself isn't wrong. I'm not here to put a guilt trip on you. But I'm just saying, am I trading real relationship for instantaneous, I can see what somebody did the other day? Am I trading real relationship for I can just look and wish I had someone else's life? That probably isn't real anyway. Like they only cleaned one room of the house and took a picture of it. Their whole house isn't that clean. They don't cook a meal like that every night, you know. Do I have a relationship? Am I putting other things in front of that? Am I just being busy for busy sake? Is our relationships a priority to me and in my life? Make it a, a priority. And the third thing I want you to do is this is, is take responsibility for it. What does that mean? That means actually do it actually take responsibility for being in relationship and being in connection and growing together. You say, why? Why would you want me to do that? Why would you want me to understand it and identify it and prioritize it and and take responsibility for it? Because I, I believe that it's through relationship, as I said, that God reveals himself and that we grow as Christ followers and we grow as believers. You will grow more in the context of relationship and being around other people who believe in God than you will coming to a sermon every week. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. It's not, it's not either or. I believe it's both and. The sad thing is, is and one of the things we're trying to address is this, there are, there's, you know, there's a number of people in this room and the reality is, is you probably don't know a number of people sitting next to you or in another section than you do. And again, no guilt trip. But even as we come here every week, we can still be disconnected. 
We can be faith community and not have any community. Right? Because this is all passive. You are hearing me speak. You are listening to someone else saying, and yeah, there's some community going on in the, in the, in the cafe and things like that, but what it, would it look like if we just kind of stepped across the aisle and we begin to meet people and begin to, and to have relationships? And I know it's uncomfortable and I know it's inconvenient, and that's part of what I'm going to ask you to do today is to make yourself uncomfortable and make yourself inconvenient. Because all throughout this series, we've been asking you to take one step. Take one step closer to where God wants you to be. Take one step. And part of that is just anything you're working on in your life. And today, that step I'm going to ask you to take is relationships. You know, for the last uh, month, we've been talking about small groups and the importance of being in a small group. We've had small group training with the leaders who are going to lead small groups. And we've, been, we've set up a, a place online where you can check out our small groups and find you know, uh, one that would work for you and things like that. We put information on your seat. So why are you doing all that? Because we want you to connect. We want you to just not value relationship, but provide a mechanism by which you can take responsibility for and prioritize relationship. And today, when you leave the church, and maybe some of you saw it this morning, there is right outside here, we're having a small group rally. We have all of our small group leaders out there. We've got some pretzels and some things for the kids. I want you to go out there, and I want you to look and see what groups are available, meet some of the leaders. I would love for you to take a step and sign up. I don't know. It's uncomfortable. I don't know them. I know, but that's okay. Very rarely, anything in life worth doing is comfortable and convenient, right? Very rarely. Meeting new people isn't always fun, but it's essential. It's essential to who we are. It's essential to having community. Our small groups, I just kind of want to tell you about them a little bit, are divided into what we call hubs. We have eight total, but um, is this. We have outreach groups and prayer groups. Outreach, they go out and they, and they do things to benefit the community. Two of our major outreach, outreach, outreach groups are uh, the marketplace and piece by piece that impact the community every week. And you can be part of that prayer. We have groups that meet and they, they pray. It's pretty simple, straightforward. They pray. Be part of a prayer group. Students, that's our, our, our students, high school, junior high. Uh, they have groups. We have groups for men. We have groups for women that you can join and be Bible studies. They're just around a, a various different um, subjects and things like that. Uh, we have a financial groups. We use what here is called Financial Peace University, FPU. We've probably, I think, four or five classes going on throughout our small group uh, semester. And what that is, you can just go and learn about some great financial principles. You can meet people. You can realize that you're in the same boat as a lot of other people. We did a big, huge push at the beginning of the year called the Freedom Project, which was awesome, but want to keep offering that. Uh, we have family groups. We have marriage groups. We have life groups, which life groups are kind of just everyday life. Could be a Bible study. Could be, could be something like that. And we have groups that are are just around different activities and shared interests and things. We do our small groups in semesters. So if you, I should say, not if, but when you sign up for a group today, you're not making a, a year-long commitment. You're making a commitment for 12 to 13 weeks. And you could be in that group, and after 13 weeks, you still don't like those people? Join another one. All right? We're giving you an easy on-ramp and an easy off-ramp. You know? But if you, if you like those people for those 13 weeks, keep on meeting. Invite new people in, you know? And so it's just in semesters. And so when you leave here today, I'm going to ask you to go out there. I'm going to ask you to 
to just look and check them out. You can sign up here today or you can sign up online. We're going to have three groups on Wednesday nights here during, during what's our normal midweek service, 7 to 8.30. One of the groups is going to meet in here. It's going to be the Fruit of the Spirit. A guy named C.R. Kirsten is going to be teaching that. If you want to learn, we have child care provided. We have an FPU, Financial Peace Group, that's going to be meeting on Wednesday. Again, child care provided. I'm doing what at my house on Wednesday. I live right across the street. My group is called what do, what do We Believe? We're going to talk just a little about apologetics and what do we believe? How do we talk about what we believe? And uh, you can drop your kids off at church and come over to my house. And that'll be just a limited number, but it's open for you to sign up to. So we have groups that meet all throughout the week, not just here in the building, but again, out. So there's really no excuse uh, to not even at least check them out and then take a, a step and sign up. So Josh, why are you pushing us so hard today? What do you get out of this? I get nothing. The question is, what do you get out of it? And that's why we're doing it. It's not to make faith community better. It's to help you grow and help you be better and to help you move from where you're at to where God wants you to be. To connect and be in relationship. And just like Ruth and Naomi, if that relationship piece isn't there, Ruth doesn't make the decision to go with Naomi. I don't believe it. And Ruth doesn't experience all that God has for her. Because it's through the context of Naomi and Ruth's relationship that God takes Ruth from being a Moabite woman to being in the family line of Jesus through the vehicle of relationships. I guarantee you there are people that God wants you to encounter that they may be the one that helps help you move from where you are to where he wants you to be. But there are also going to be those people that God brings you that you are instrumental in helping them move from where they are to where God wants them to be. God wants to reveal himself through you, and that is in relationships. God wants you to learn about him. That comes through relationships. So that's my encouragement to you today. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to pray over you. All the workers and faith kids ask me to tell you before you go out to the rally, could you pick your kids up? Take them with you. There's pretzels, there's drinks, there's a train ride you can put your kids on while you look at small groups. It's going to be fun, but let me pray for you today, and we will... Get out of here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for every person that's here today. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you that you created us to be in relationship with us. Help us, Lord, to understand our need for it, to prioritize it, Lord, and to take responsibility for it. And Lord, may we encounter the amazing fruit that comes out of being in relationship, not with you, but with other people. May a sense of community rise up in this place, not just because we pray for it, but because we step out and do it. Lord, I thank you. Help us to be uncomfortable and help us to inconvenience ourselves and know that on the other side of it is something so much greater than we ever thought possible. We love you. We thank you. Bless us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen.